listening to New Life the Fort, where the person of Jesus Christ and His love for you are shared. My message tonight, if you're taking notes, it's called Covenant Conscious. Covenant Conscious. Now, covenant is a a word we see a lot in the Bible. It's mentioned over 250 times in the Bible, this word covenant. So it is a major theme in the Bible. And most of you are probably familiar with the fact that there's two major covenants in the Bible, the old and the new, okay? So that's covenant. Conscious, what does conscious mean? Conscious simply means aware, to be aware of something, knowing that something exists or is happening, So if we're going to be covenant conscious, we need to know which covenant we are to be conscious of, which covenant we are to be aware of. Because when Jesus Christ came, when he hung on the cross, when he shed his blood, the new covenant was instituted. So we've been now living in the new covenant for 2,000 years already. That's a long time. Do you agree? But unfortunately, many people are still living under concepts and principles and things from the old covenant, not realizing that it was done away with. So they're still very much conscious or aware of the old rather than the new. But God wants us to be aware, conscious of the new because we're not under the old anymore. So today I just want to speak the word to you. I want to show you some things and I want to show you really in the new covenant what God wants us to be conscious of, what we are to be continually aware of in the new covenant that we are living in today. Because the old is gone and the new has come. And the new is far, far better than the old. Amen. So the first thing you need to know, under the new covenant, you are not covered, but you are cleansed. Point number one, under the new covenant, you are not just covered, but you are cleansed. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, It says, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. The law, the old covenant, it was a shadow of the good things to come. What was the good thing to come? The new covenant. So the law was a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. Can never, say never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So these sacrifices that they made year by year, it couldn't make them perfect, complete. It says, for then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now, what is this talking about? This is talking about the old covenant of the law, right? Now, we know under the old covenant of the law, they sacrificed bulls and goats. The blood of bulls and goats, it covered their sins, but it could not cleanse them. It could not remove their sins, but it could cover them. It just covered them. So it couldn't cleanse them, right? So it says that those sacrifices, they actually served as a reminder of sins, Every time they sacrificed, it reminded them of their sin, okay? 
Now, why is that? Because there was one who was going to come. That was a shadow. There was one who would come, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, whose blood would be able to cleanse, not just cover. That's why the shadow, it reminded them, it pointed them that the substance was coming. So it just covered. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover. The blood of Jesus cleanses. It removes. In Hebrews 9.12, says, Not with the blood of bulls, of goats and calves, but with his own blood, Jesus, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for some, for all. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus gave his own blood. The blood of Jesus is the only blood that can cleanse. The main stipulation of the new covenant that you're under today is your sins and your lawless deeds he remembers no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. Removed. That means under the new, which you're under today, there should be no more consciousness of sins. We should not be continually aware of our sins. Now, when I say sins, people think murder, adultery. Sin in the original Greek means missing the mark. It means falling short, weakness, imperfection. So God does not want us continually conscious of our weaknesses, our imperfections, our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings. Why? Because we, if we are, it's really going to hinder us from living our life to the full. Let me give you an example. Anyone ever had a pimple? Anyone not had a pimple? Come and lay hands on me <laughs> if you've never had a pimple. We've all had a pimple, right? Have you ever had a really bad pimple? Like, you know one of those underground pimples? They're really bad, right? You can feel it for days before it... Sometimes they don't even erupt. But I don't know what you're like, but if I have an underground pimple, I have to get it out. I can't just let it stay under the skin because I can feel it. So I've got to get it out. And so what happens? Crater, volcano on the face, right? So then you don't want to go to work, right? But if you're a woman, praise God for makeup. Makeup covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> so you cover it, right? You cake the makeup on. If you're a man, unlucky, <laughs> ugly. No, I tell my husband, if you have a pimple, you should cover it with makeup. And he says, don't come near me with your makeup. Men, I, I personally think if you have a zit, cover it. <laughs> but it's your choice. What am I saying, okay? You cover your zit, you go out, but you know what? You're still aware of it, right? When you talk to someone, you feel like they're looking at my zit, not me. Why are they staring at my zit? You're aware of it. You're self-conscious. You might even start talking like this, you know. Or if your zit's on this side, you, you stay like this. Because you're continually aware of it. It's covered, but you know what's there, right? If you're really vain, you might just not even go to work that day. Cold sore, right? What am I saying? It's still there. And so that, the awareness that it's there, it holds you back from living your life to the full. It holds you back from enjoying your day. It holds you back from walking in everything God has for you that day. Now, it's the same with sin consciousness, if you go through your life constantly aware of these things, it hinders you 
from walking in everything that God has for you. That's why God doesn't want us sin conscious. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you. In the new covenant, now you are sun conscious. Conscious that you are righteous, cleansed forever by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So I want to show you this in a story. I love studying stories. God really speaks to me through stories. And I want to talk to you about the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Do you, you guys all know that story? This story is really interesting. The Holy Spirit chooses to record this in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. It's recorded in all three. Now, it's very unique, this story, because it's jam-packed in between a story about Jairus, a guy who has a, a daughter who's dying. So what happens in the story is this guy, Jairus, he has a daughter that's 12 years old. The Bible says, remember that, she's 12 years old. Say 12. The daughter's 12 years old, she's dying. Jairus goes to Jesus, says, come and heal my daughter. Jesus says, okay. So he goes with Jairus. He's on his way to heal the daughter. Now, on his way, he runs into this woman with the issue of blood. In Luke 8, 43, look at this. It says, now a woman, Luke 8, 43, now a woman having a flow of blood for how many years? 12 years. Stop right there. I want to talk to you a little bit about Bible numbers. Numbers in the Bible have meanings. The number 12 in the Bible is a number for divine order or government. Okay, if you're taking notes, write that down. The number 12 is the number for divine order or government. It's very important. So this lady, she's been bleeding for 12 years. This is a system of governance. This is an order. This lady represents the old covenant of the law. She's been bleeding, shedding blood for 12 years. Under the old covenant, what had to happen? Continual shedding of blood. There had to be a continual shedding of blood to cover sin, right? This is what this is a picture of. It says she'd spent all of her livelihood on physicians and she could not be healed by any. So she'd spent everything she had. In her own strength, she'd done everything that she could. How many of you know that under the law, it didn't matter how hard you tried, it didn't matter what you did. You could never heal yourself. You could never save yourself. You could never cleanse yourself. The law was never meant to do that. The law was brought in to show you, show us that we needed a saviour. That's what happened to the woman. She got to the end of herself. She tried everything. And she realised, I need a saviour. I can't stop this bleeding on my own. I need a saviour. She saw Jesus and she said, he's the one. He's the one. He's the saviour. And so she came behind him. She touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. This is a prophetic picture, church. Jesus came to put an end to the old and begin the new. In the old, continual shedding of blood. In the new, the blood of Jesus has been shed once, good for all time. There's no more need for shedding of blood. You are cleansed, completely cleansed in the new covenant. Amen. Can you see that? All right. So that whole woman with the issue of blood thing happens. But remember, Jairus still has a dying daughter. So in verse 49, it says, While he, Jesus, was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jairus' house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. So that the dying daughter that he's going to heal has already died, okay? 
But when Jesus heard that, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe. Now remember, Jesus is walking out a prophetic picture here. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. Under the new covenant, you know what you need to do? Just believe. Just believe. That's it. Just believe. So he says, only believe. In verse 51, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and the mother of the girl. So he gets to the house of Jairus. He goes into the room where the, daughter, the dead daughter, she's now dead, is lying and he only brings three people in. The Holy Spirit chooses to record these three people for us, Peter, James and John. Peter, the name Peter means stone. Stone in the, in the Bible is a picture of what? Come on, you life the fort. That's right. You're well taught in this place. The law. James means supplanter or replaced. John means grace. Remember, Jesus is walking out a prophetic picture in this story. He's showing us, I've come in to get rid of the old, bring in the new. He takes in Peter, James and John. What's he saying? The law, Peter, the law has been replaced by grace. The old covenant of the law is being replaced by the new covenant of grace. Can you see that? This is what he's walking out for us. So he puts everyone else outside in verse 54. He he takes the girl by the hand and he says, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. She rose up. You know, under the new covenant, you have life. You have life. Under the old covenant, it could not give you life. Why? The blood of bulls and goats, it couldn't cleanse you. Because it couldn't cleanse you, you could not receive righteousness. Right? And because you could not receive righteousness, you are dead. Under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus has cleansed you. Because you've been cleansed, you can receive righteousness. You're clean. Because you're righteous, guess what? You've received the life of Christ. He comes now and he can live on the inside of you because you've been pronounced clean. So under the new covenant, you have life. You have life. And I love how Mark 5, in, the, in the Mark's account, this is how Mark says it, that last bit of the story. He says, immediately the girl arose and walked. And she was 12 years of age. What does 12 years mean? 12 mean divine government, divine order. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing in a new way. This, the old way couldn't bring you life. The new way can. So rise up and walk. I love it how he says she got up and walked. You know what God wants you to do under the new? You've been given life. Walk. Walk. You've gone from death to life. You've been asleep. Now you're awake. Darkness to light. Don't stay in bed. God has an abundant life ready for you. He wants you to get up and walk it out. He wants you to get up and live it all out. You know, people have a different idea of what abundant life means. Really. Some people think abundant life is just, you know, I get my house, get my kids through school, have enough for retirement, that's abundant life. That may be your idea. But I'm here to tell you that abundant life, the abundant life that Christ has given you is far more than that. 
it is far greater than putting your kids through school and having enough for retirement. Abundant life is walking in the fullness of the life that Christ has purchased for you at the cross. It is walking in all the plans and purposes that he has for you. The Bible says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly, far over above, far more than you could ever ask, dream or imagine. Does the Bible say that? That's abundant living. That you're walking in plans and purposes that you never even dreamed about. Because they're far greater than you could ever live on your own. You can only live them out with the life of Christ on the inside of you. Amen. And I love this last statement. It says, the people that saw her risen to life and walking, says they were overcome with great amazement. When you start walking in the plans and the purposes that God has for you, people will stand amazed. People will stand amazed. They will know that's not them. (laughs) They weren't like that before. What's happened to them? Something's different. You have to know that something is different on the inside of you. And it will cause you to live differently when you are conscious of it. Amen. So point number one, under the new covenant, we need to be conscious of the fact that we are cleansed, forever cleansed. And because of that, we have life. Number two, under the new covenant, you need to be conscious of the fact that you are not a slave. You are a son. You are not a slave. You are a son. Galatians 4 verse 1 says this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Now this may sound confusing to you. Let me explain. The Apostle Paul is talking here about the law. He's saying that when we were under the old covenant of law, it was like we were children. We were heirs, meaning we had an inheritance, but because we were children, we could not yet access it. The law was like our guardian who, who watched over us, told us what we could do and what we couldn't do. Okay, that was, the, that was what the law did. So we did not yet have access to this inheritance. So really, we're no, we were no better than slaves. That's what it says. We're just told what we can and can't do. We, we can't access our inheritance. That's what it was like under the old covenant of the law. But verse 4 brings good news. Are you ready? It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. If you have believed on Jesus, you have been adopted as a son. In the new covenant, you are a son. This word adoption, um, adoption is a loose translation because the word in the original Greek means you have been placed as a son. You have been made a son, established as a son. That is your permanent position. This word son means fully grown, mature son. Fully grown, mature son. It's the word weos. So it says, because you are sons, verse 5, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. When you receive Jesus, you become a fully grown son. Now the Holy Spirit lives in you. It testifies that you are a child of God. Therefore, verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So what is this saying? Because you're a son, 
you're also an heir of God. Now, our understanding of heir usually means we will inherit in the future. Again, the Greek here is not we will inherit. It's not a future thing. The Greek here, this word for we are an heir, is the word one who has received. There are a lot of possession by right of sonship. If you are a son of God, you are an heir right now. You have access to the inheritance that God has for you right now. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to earn it or work for it. It's yours. When you received Jesus, you became a fully grown, mature son and you have access to all that God is. What is that inheritance that you have access to? Him. His fullness you you can partake of. Do you need wisdom today? You have it in Christ. Do you need joy? Do you need peace? What is it that you need? Because you have access to it right now. Right now you have it as a son. Amen? The story of the prodigal son in Luke, we've all heard this story before, right? We know the story. We have the younger son, he, he goes out, he spends his father's wealth on prodigal living. He's broke, he comes to the end of himself and he decides to go back to his father. You guys remember that story? So he decides to go back to the father, Luke 15 verse 20, uh, 17. I just want to show you something in this story. The heart of the father is really that you know that under the new covenant you're a son, not a slave. The prodigal comes, decides he's going to go back to the father, okay? And this is what he says in verse 17. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this is a speech that the son is preparing in his head. He's going to go back to the father and this is what he's going to tell him. Just make me a servant, right? Just make me a servant. So he prepares this in his head. He's probably walking back to the father thinking, okay, what am I going to say? This is what I'm going to say. He gets to the house and look at what happens. Luke 15, 20 says, He arose and came to the father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. The father ran toward him, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, okay, he's starting his speech. He prepared the speech, right? Now he's going to tell the father. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now what's the next part of his speech? He's going to say, make me like one of your hired servants. That's the speech he prepared in his mind, right? That's the next line. But guess what? The father says, stop. Doesn't let him finish the speech. Father interrupts him right there. He says, stop. Doesn't even let him say the next part of what he's going to say. Why? Because the father is saying, you, are, you will not be a servant. You will not be a slave in my house. You are not a servant. You are a son. You are my son. He gets the robe. Verse 22, he puts a robe on him, the righteousness. He gives him a ring representing his authority. He puts sandals on his feet representing his sonship. He establishes him. He says, you're a son. 
You don't have to serve me and work for me. You're my son. You know, Jesus came, he died, not so that we could be servants of God. God doesn't need servants. He has many angels. Jesus came, Jesus died so that you could be God's sons, so that you could be in God's family. He wanted to make you brother with him so that his father could be our father. So you know what? Under the new covenant, we're not working for God. You hear me? We're not working for God. You don't have to earn. We are working with God. We now work with God. In the new covenant, you don't work for him. We work with him. We are partners with him. You know, my, um, my dad's here, actually. <laughs> now he's concerned. <laughs> no, my, my dad and my brother have a family business. A farm. We live on a farm, sheep farm. Some of you heard me share about that. So my brother, he doesn't work for my... He's a full-grown, mature adult son. He doesn't work for my dad. He works with my dad. Why? Because he's, he's the son. He's the son. He has access to everything my dad has access to. He can buy and sell in the family name. He can do everything he has to do. My dad's here on a holiday. My brother's running the farm because he has full authority. They communicate. They communicate <laughs> daily. But what am I saying? He's not working for my dad. They're working together. They're in partnership. It's a family business. Do you see that? So now what? You're part of the family business. You're part of the family business. Remember Jesus? Jesus was a son of God, right? He said, shouldn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? Remember he said that? Let me show you when he said that. Very interesting. Are you keeping up? This is a lot of Bible. Are you awake up the back? <laughs> Nosebleed. <laughs> if it's nosebleed, just wave. Stay with me, okay? This is so awesome. This is exciting. Listen carefully. In Luke 2.41, when Jesus makes this statement, let me be about my father's business, guess what? He's 12 years old when this happens. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, Remember I told you about 12? I said, don't forget that number because we're going to talk about it a lot tonight. He was 12 years old. What does this represent? Divine government, divine order, system of government, right? So he's 12. They go to Jerusalem for the feast. They have the feast. The parents leave. Guess what? They forgot to take Jesus with them. I don't know how they forgot their son. <laughs> All parents make mistakes. Jesus got left behind in Jerusalem. So when Mary and Joseph realized Jesus wasn't with them, they went back to Jerusalem to find him. Remember, he's only 12. And in verse 46, it says, Now, it was after how many days? Three days that they found him in the temple. What does three days represent in the Bible? Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. So he got 12, he was 12 years old, representing what? Old covenant. Then what? After three days, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's this a picture of? Old is done away with, coming into the new. What's the first statement that Jesus makes? Verse 49. The parents say, what are you doing? Jesus says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 
What is he saying? He's saying in the new covenant, I'm about my father's business. You know, in Jewish culture, they become an adult on their 13th birthday. After 12 years, they become an adult. So Jesus is just, it's another prophetic picture. That now, as a son, you work with God. We work together. You have partnership with him. You have full open access to all that he is. Amen. Can you see that? So under the new covenant, we need to be conscious of the fact that we're not just, our sins are not just covered, they're cleansed. That's number one, right? Under the new covenant, we need to be conscious of the fact that we're not slaves. We're not working for God, but we're sons. We're working with God and we have access to all that he is. And number three, under the new covenant, we're to be conscious not of rules, but of relationship. We're to be conscious not of rules, but of relationship. The new covenant that we are living in today is all about relationship. God is a God of relationship. We know that the old was all about rules and regulations, but God always wanted relationship with you. Always. And you know, I shared the story earlier about the two sons, right? So let's look at two daughters now. We've got the two brothers, prodigal son. Remember the two sisters, Mary and Martha? We all know the story about Mary and Martha, right? And we look at Martha like she's the one who was serving Jesus and she didn't sit at Jesus' feet. She's the bad guy. Well, no, she loved Jesus. They both loved Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came to their house and Martha is the one who welcomed him in. So Martha brings Jesus in the house and We know what happens. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, right? Like a good Mary, (laughs) listening to Jesus. But look at Martha in verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. So Martha's in the kitchen busily serving. She's pissed because Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. So she says to Jesus, Jesus, tell her to help me. Now, she could have went straight to Mary and said, Mary, come and help me. Right? But she goes to Jesus. Why? Because she thinks Jesus is going to agree with her. She thinks Jesus is going to say, yeah, Mary, get up, go and help your sister. That's what she wants Jesus to say. But that's not what Jesus says. Look at what Jesus says. It says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. What does that mean? Whenever God says your name twice, listen carefully. <laughs> he wants to tell you something important. He wants to tell her, he wants to show her something important. He says, You are worried, Martha. You're anxious and you're troubled about many things. This means troubled in mind. In the Greek, troubled in mind. She was troubled in her mind. She was so concerned with what she had to do. She had to-do lists in her mind, things that she had to do. And the root word actually comes from the word noise. You know what it's like in your mind when you have so many things? All these things you've got to do, right? It's like noise, right? You, go, you try to go to sleep and it's just like, I've got to do this. I didn't do this. I should have done that. And it's just like, shut up. I want to go to sleep. 
Well, that's what was happening in Martha's mind. She was just had so many things to do. And so instead of, you know, instead of Jesus saying, yeah, Mary, go and help Martha, what, what Jesus actually was saying was, you know, Martha, you come and sit with Mary. You come and sit with Mary. She says, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part and it will not be taken away from her. When we read stories in the Bible, it's good to think about them a little bit. And as I was thinking about this story, you know, I was thinking, why do you think that Jesus went to their house in the first place? You know, I read this story so many times and we can read stories so many times that we can't get familiar because the word of God is alive. It will show you something different every single time you read it. God always is speaking. You can hear the same words, but he'll tell you something different, right? I read this story many times, but did you ever think, why did Jesus go to their house? It's good to ask questions. Do you think he went to their house because he wanted, he was hungry? He wanted Martha to feed him? No. Do you think he went to their house because he wanted them to serve him? No. Why did he go to their house? He went to their house because he wanted to spend time with them. He wanted to be with them. That's it. He wanted to be with them. Martha was missing the whole point. You know, the Christian life is not about do's and don'ts. If you you think it's about that, you're missing the point. It's about relationship. You know, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help thinking about, you know, since my mom and dad are here, they, they came all the way from Australia to attend New Life the Fort. No, just joking. They came to see me. But, you know, I don't see them very often. And so I would go home probably about once a year because I've lived abroad ever since I was young. So whenever I go home... Obviously, they're excited to see us. And so because my mom is so excited to see us, she will do our laundry. She will cook us gourmet food. She cooks very good food. She will cook. She will clean. She will iron my clothes, which I love because I don't usually iron my clothes. (laughs) But she will really serve us. And it's awesome. But, you know, at some point I have to say, Mom, stop. Come and sit down. (laughs) Say, Mom... I love that you're cooking me food. I love that you're doing my dishes and my laundry. But I didn't come all this way to have your food, even though I love it. I didn't come all this way so that you could do my laundry, although I love that you do my laundry. Why did I come all this way? I came all this way to spend time with you. That's it. I just wanted to spend time with you. That's why I came all this way. So sit down. Let's have, let's have time. I'll help you with the dishes later. Now that she's visiting me, I need to make sure I'm not busy doing her laundry, cooking for her, although my food is definitely not as good as hers. I need to make sure I sit down because she came to spend time with me. She came a very, long, a very long way to spend time with me. You know that Jesus came a very, very long way to spend time with you. He came from heaven to earth. He hung on a cross for almost six hours around about. 
just so that he could be with you forever. He has always wanted to just be with you. That's it. He's not after your service. He's after your relationship. Service is good. But what I'm saying is that's not what he's after. He's after relationship. He always has been. You know, (coughs) excuse me. We say, you know, you've got to get in the presence of God. And it's good to get in the presence of God. But what rocks my world is that God wanted to get in my presence. God wanted to get in your presence badly to the extent that he gave his son so that he could just be in your presence, so that he could come and be in your house forever, right? So under the new covenant, we need to make sure we don't get caught up in too much of that. We need to just be conscious of the fact that he really wants relationship. He really wants relationship, right? Are you, are you still with me? Got quiet all of a sudden when I talked about my mom. <laughs> I was praying, you know, just a quick testimony. I was praying, you know, I hadn't seen them for so long. And I felt like it's time that I go see them. It had been over a year and I thought I need to, I need to go visit them. I, I was praying, Lord, I think I need to go visit them. It's been a really long time. Um, I, I was praying, Lord... Just show me the right time. I need the time. I need the finances. Show me the right time to go visit them. So I was really praying about when I should, when and how I was going to get there to go and see them. So I was praying. This was several months ago. And then a few weeks later, I got a phone call from them. And my mom says, guess what? We won a $2,000 travel voucher in a raffle. Not 2,000 pesos, huh? So she said, we're coming to visit you. (laughs) I said, okay. But, you know, they they traveled here and I said, you can go anywhere with that. You can go to Europe. They said, no, we want to come to the Philippines. We want to come to New Life the Fort. (laughs) So they traveled here in style. I mean, usually they fly budget, just carry on, you know. So they take a few pairs of clothes. They traveled in style. I mean, they, tra- they, they could bring as much baggage as they wanted. So what am I saying? God hears your prayers. I prayed for that. And I know that that's a direct answer to my prayer. The prayer of the righteous availeth much. God hears your prayers, church, and he wants to do more than over and above, right? Let me end with this. I want to end with this, okay? I hope I can finish this. But <clears throat> I just want to show you how the old covenant was established compared to the new. We're talking about old and new, right? And in Exodus 24, the old covenant was established back when the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt and they came out into the wilderness and they came to a place called Mount Sinai. And that is where God gave them the law, the old covenant. So I want to read you what happened because it's significant. Is that okay? It says in Exodus 24, verse 3, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. That's the law that God had given, the old covenant. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. This is an amazing statement to me. (laughs) They got given all the laws and they said, yep, we'll do it. I'm like, wow, 
I wish they would have said, you know what, I don't think we can do that. Maybe Jesus would have come back just then. But they said, all the words that you've told us, all the words of the law, we will do it. We'll do it. Okay, that's what they said. So verse 4, it says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars. How many pillars? 12. He had 12 pillars according to the 12 tri- excuse me, tw- tribes of Israel. So 12 pillars, what are pillars? Okay, pillars are monuments. They are memorials. They're usually either stumps of wood or stones. Most scholars believe that the 12 pillars set up here were stones. So these stones were set up to remind the people of the covenant that they just made. It was to remind them of everything that they had to do under the old covenant of the law. Then after that, they cut blood. The bulls, they cut an animal. There was blood. They sprinkled the blood over the people and to, to bind them. See, it's not a covenant unless there's blood. Now we don't really understand covenants. <laughs> we have contracts now. But covenants are always, there's always blood. That's why marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract, right? Because there's blood. There's shedding of blood. There has to be shedding of blood. So there was shedding of blood at the establishment of the old covenant. But what I want you to see is they set up 12 stones to remind them. It was a memorial to remind them of what they had to do. Now keep that in mind. Because what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, when they came into the, when they're about to come into the promised land, they came to this place, the Jordan River. In between the promised land and where they were was the Jordan River. That was all that separated them. So, in their own ability, God had told them He's taking them to the promised land, which is a picture of Jesus Christ and the new covenant. But they couldn't get there because of the Jordan River. It was a huge river. There's no way they could cross it. So this is what happened. God told Joshua how they were going to get across the Jordan River. This is what he said. He said, what you're going to do is you're going to get the priests that carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we all know what the Ark of the Covenant is. That was the big gold box, as Tracy would say, that housed the presence of God. So it housed the presence of God. So the priests were the only ones who could carry that. So they were going to pick it up and they were going to take it into the Jordan River. Okay? And this is what God said would happen. He said in verse Joshua 3.13, Amplified. He said, When the soles of the feet of the priests who, who are carrying the ark of the Lord of all the earth, when they rest in the Jordan, so when the priests, when they get into the water of the river, it says the waters of the Jordan coming down from above will be cut off. And they shall stand in one heap. So God told him, what's going to happen? When you take the presence of God into the Jordan River, the water's going to stop. It's going to stand up in a heap. That's what he told him was going to happen. So that's what they did. The priests went first. They took the presence of God with them. When they stepped foot in the water, the water went back. But not just here, huh? It went all the way back. The Bible tells us how far back it went. In verse 16, it says, The waters which came down from above... They stood and rose up in a heap far off at Adam. So there was a place called Adam back here. That's where the water stopped so that they could walk through on dry ground. Okay? So it says that the water stopped at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the salt dead sea. 
were wholly cut off. Now, there's a lot of names mentioned here. And unless you know Israel, you'll find it hard to understand what God is talking about. So I want to show you a map. Because there's a reason why the Holy Spirit records the names. Of course, there's always a reason why he records everything. Right? So can I see the picture? Who here is believing to go to Israel? You better start believing to go to Israel. Okay, can you figure this out for me? I'm not very good with technology. Okay, was it going to work? Okay, here we have Israel. Israel is this one. You see that? The Jordan River is this river right here. See that? That's the Jordan River. Now, the children of Israel before, they were over here. So they're going to get from here into here, into the promised land. Remember, the promised land is a picture, type and shadow of Christ, the new covenant. So they need to cross. They cannot cross. God splits the water, right? But what I want you to see is the path of the Jordan River that it takes. It starts up here in the Golan Heights. This is the highest place in Israel. The highest mountain in the Golan Heights, when you go there, you'll see it, is Mount Hermon. So what happens, the flow of water, it will come from heaven, obviously, rain. It will fall onto Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain. From there, it will flow down into the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus did much of his ministry. It is a sea teeming with fish. It's full of life. Okay? It's really full of life. So many fish there. From there, the water comes down. Adam is like around here. The, the place called Adam is around here. And it says, beside Adam is a place called Zarathan, nearby. Then it flows from there all the way down into the Dead Sea. This is the lowest point. Nothing is alive in the Dead Sea. When you go to Israel, you can swim in it and you'll float because <laughs> it's salty. So it's really fun. It's the lowest point. So the water, it starts from the highest point and it flows down to the lowest, right? Now, the Bible mentioned these names. What I want to show you is this. It's a picture. It's another picture. Sorry, I show you lots of pictures, types and shadows. The flow of the water represents the course of mankind. Why? It starts at Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights. Mount Hermon means sanctuary. Sea of Galilee represents life. Adam. We know what happened with Adam. Sin came in. The town next to Adam is called Zarathon, which means distress. When mankind fell at the fall of Adam, sin came in. Always following sin is distress, right? Sin came in followed by distress. Now, because of Adam's sin, we were all, we were all going to, to death. Do you see that? That was the, court, the flow of water shows the course of mankind. God created us for life, Sea of Galilee, right? But then we got to Adam. Adam fell. He fell. Sin came in. That was closely followed by distress. Now mankind is on a downward spiral down to death. That was where we were headed before Christ came. That's it. That's the story of mankind. But what happened? The water was cut off, right? The priest came in with the presence of God. That presence of God represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it's like he stepped into that river. It's like he stepped into the course of mankind. Why? He became a man. He came down to where we were, becoming a man just like us. He got on, he got on our river. Life, right? 
but we're flowing to death. Jesus steps in and he says, stop. He says, stop. The water will no longer go down to the Dead Sea. The water stopped where at Adam. Jesus came to reverse the curse. He said, my people will no longer go the way of death. They will no longer end up in death. He came down, he died, defeated death, rose again so that he could put an end to death so that now you could stay in the side of life. You don't have to go the way of death anymore. You don't have to go the way of death anymore. Do you see that? He said enough. One other thing that is beautiful about this picture, the Jordan River means judgment. Jesus stepped in to the river. The presence of God was supposed to go first, right? That went in first. Jesus stepped into the river. He took our judgment. He stepped in first. He took the judgment that we were supposed to take. He took it. He went first. He took the judgment. So what? So that you can experience life. So that you can experience life. Abundant life. Do you see the picture here? So the children of Israel, they walked through that Jordan River on dry ground. And they came into the promised land. They had nothing to do with it. God is the one who made a way. You came into Christ. You came into this new covenant. And really you had nothing to do with it. Jesus made a way. All you had to do was believe. You enter into that new covenant by grace through faith. They entered into the promised land. How? By grace. God opened the, red, the, opened the Jordan. That's grace. They walked through. That's faith. They believed. They went through. Today we stand in the promised land. You stand in the new covenant. You stand in Christ. And, oh, I forgot the main point. <laughs> Last one. You stand in Christ. Remember that. What I want you to see, though, in Joshua 4. Keep playing. It's okay. It's good. Makes me sound spiritual. (laughs) What they did is they took 12 stones. God had another instruction. When the priest went into the Jordan, right, when the water stopped, God told Joshua this. Joshua 4 verse 2, take 12 men from among the people, one man out of every tribe. Command them, take 12 stones. How many stones? 12. Take 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, out of that place, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Carry them over with you. Leave them at the place where you're lodging tonight. So that place where Jesus stopped the flow, right? The presence of God. He said, take 12 stones from there. Take them with you into the promised land. Take them with you into the promised land, those 12 stones. Why? Why did God tell them to do that? They were to be a memorial. Verse 7 says, I want you to take the stones. Why? So that when your children ask, what are these 12 stones for in the promised land? This is what you tell them. You tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The 12 stones they took out of the Jordan River, they put them in the promised land. Those 12 stones were to remind them forever 
not of what they had to do. Those 12 stones were to remind them of what God had done. Remember when the law came in, there was 12 stones to remind them what? Of what they had to do and what would happen to them if they did not do it. But when they came into the promised land, into the new covenant, God says, I don't want you to worry about those 12 stones anymore. Forget about the stones at Sinai. There's a new 12 stones. There's a new 12 stones. And these 12 stones are not to remind you about you. They're to remind you about me. These 12 stones are to remind you not of what you have to do, but they're to remind you about what I have done. Why? He wanted them to be always conscious of what God had done. As they lived in the promised land, they had to be continually conscious of what God, has, what God had done. That's why he said, tell your children and your children and your children. Those stones are going to be there forever. What does that mean to me and you? In the new covenant, we've got to be continually conscious of what Jesus has done. We've got to be continually conscious. If you're going to live this life out to the full in the new covenant, you've got to be, stop being self-conscious. Self-consciousness is going to hold you back. But we've got to be Christ-conscious. We enjoy all the benefits of the new covenant by being simply Christ-conscious, continually aware of what he has done. Isaiah 42, verse 6, I'll end with this. The new covenant, I'm talking about the benefits of the new covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. He is the covenant. Isaiah 42.6 is a prophecy by Isaiah talking about Jesus. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. He's talking to Jesus. See the capital Y. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a what? As a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles, that's us, to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. This is a prophecy about Jesus. And Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah that he's going to give Jesus as a covenant. Living, you know, living in the new covenant, it's just living in Christ. You're in Christ. So to be covenant conscious is simply just to be Christ conscious. He is your new covenant. He is your new covenant. Amen. So just lift your hands. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for every person here today. That as they go out of this place, they are continually conscious. Not of what they have to do. Not of what they have done or need to do. But they are continually conscious of you, Jesus, and what you have done. I thank you that they go out of here today knowing that they are not just covered. They go out of here knowing that they are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, free to live out the abundance of life that you have given them. I pray that they go out of here today knowing that they're not slaves. They're not working for you, but they are sons. They are working with you. They have full access to all that you are, to enjoy your privileges, to enjoy your benefits. I pray that as they go out of here today, they would know that you call them not into rules and regulations, but you want relationship. 
that they can enjoy relationship with you, unbroken fellowship each and every day. So I pray that they will begin to realize that, enjoy that, walk in that. And I pray, Lord God, that we just live in this new covenant, continually looking at you, Jesus. And as we do that, I thank you that each and every person here will walk in the fullness, in the fullness of the land that you have given them, in the fullness of the life that you have provided for them, and that you will do, as you said you're able, you will do exceedingly, abundantly, far over and above, far more than they could ever ask, dream or imagine as they keep their eyes, keep their consciousness, their awareness continually on you. So we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that was a lot of Bible. You may not have understood all of it, but I pray that you understood something, that you have something you can take out of here. Amen. So you know what? Before we go, we never want to leave without giving you an opportunity. If you have not yet received this relationship with Jesus, you have an opportunity right now. You may know about him, but you don't know him personally. He died so that he could have a relationship with you. So I want to give you that opportunity right now to enter into this covenant with Jesus and enjoy all the benefits that I've been talking about today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you want that, if that's who your heart will be burning, you will know that it's you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Just raise up your hand really quick because I'm going to pray with you. If that's you, just put your hand up really quick and put it down. If you're in the Life Center, you can do the same thing. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Congregation, pray with these people that are entering into this relationship with Jesus. If that's you, you want to receive Jesus, the Bible says you believe in your heart and you speak out of your mouth what you believe. You make a declaration. And I want to lead you in that today. So just repeat this prayer after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for me so that I could have relationship with you so that I could be cleansed of my sins and so that I could enter into the family of God. Jesus, I receive you now. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I thank you that today I have received eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at newlifethefort.com.